the second of the Ten Commandments. I'll read out what the, uh, the actual verse is. So in Exodus 20, I'm dealing with verses 4 down to 6. So it says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in, in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So I wanted to talk, first of all, about the, the context of this. Uh, Pete talked about it last week a bit, but I think to re-emphasize it, what we have is the tribe of Israel, which is like the bigger family from the family of a, a guy called Jacob, uh, who's then renamed Israel, uh, coming out of Egypt. So what happened is you had Abraham's grandson, Jacob, was renamed Israel and had 12 sons. And they ended up, for various reasons, going to live in, in Egypt for a long time. They went, and there were 70 people. 430 years later, God called them out of Egypt. By then, they'd grown. The best I can find is in uh, Numbers, Numbers 2, two years into the time wandering around the wilderness, there were over 600,000 men over the age of 20, not including the Levites and not counting women and children. So we're basically talking from 70 people who went into Egypt, you've got about 600,000 plus coming out. When they went into Egypt, you have this family who had a relationship with God to some to a greater or degree. God had sort of met the different people over the years. When they're coming out, we don't know what their state was. We, that you read about the midwives in Egypt fearing God, and therefore they kept the Israeli children alive when the Pharaoh had said, get rid of them all. So there's some element of God's perspective in their lives. They weren't doing what we think. They weren't sort of really regularly worshipping God, as it seemed, because they were just a family who had this relationship with God of some sort. And they come out into the wilderness... And God says, right, I'm going to make you into a holy nation. Right? That's in Exodus 19. So God's saying, I want to make you into a holy nation. Now what does that mean? What does that mean? And he follows it up by these 12 commandments. He says, this is what I'm like. This is who I am. This is what life is meant to be like. This is what perfect life is meant to be like. And the Twelve Commandments were given to show what God's like and to say, I want you to be a nation which is radically different from any other nation on earth. Any other nation is going to, it had never seen anything I'm giving you. And the Twelve Commandments were completely different from the way people lived in the days beforehand. So if you think about it, God's saying, Worship me, look at me first of all, because then you'll see what life's meant to be like. If you start focusing your eyes on me, no other God but me, it's the first commandment, you're starting to see what, what the reality is, what real life should look like. 
Then he goes into No Idols, I'll come to a bit in a minute, and then he talks about all the other things, which is things like not murder, not commit adultery, not to lie, not to cover to the things. What would the world be like if everyone lived by the Ten Commandments? Not in a restrictive way, but it means that you'd be safe. You could go out, and you wouldn't have a thought that people were going to be horrible to you. They wouldn't be murdering you. They wouldn't even be, as Jesus said in, in Matthew 5, in the um, Beatitudes, about uh, not even being horrible to people. There'd be that sense of peace and security. You'd go out, and you'd be with people. You'd just know there's no way they're going to offend you or create offense. And you wouldn't be offending them or creating offense with them. Families would be safe because the women and the men would be looking and thinking, I'm safe with this person who is my other half because I know they're going to be safe and secure and loyal to me. I wouldn't be thieving and lying. And it sounds like heaven, doesn't it? Because that's what God wanted. He wanted this people to demonstrate heaven on earth. That was the purpose. That's what he wanted. He wanted a holy nation. He wants these people who are so full of God, so close to God, so right in the way they lived. They would just blew the nations away, round about them. They just look and think, this is astonishing. Who is this God that we can worship him and serve him and live life and have a, have a life like yours? But they blew it because they're human beings. And they blew it. And one of the things God says was, don't make idols. Now what he actually says is, don't make images, which seems a bit harsh, and then follows it up the next verse saying to bow down and worship them. And generally, in my research, I looked at this and thought, well, that's pretty hard, don't make images. But the general consensus is that the two verses are taken together. It's not to make images which you're going to worship. And the rationale behind that is there are images that God did permit in the Bible. If you read Solomon creating the temple, he cast 12, I think, bulls uh, which were going to, on which he put this huge sea, this huge bath for, for ceremonial bathing. So he, he created images of bulls. In the actual temple, you had uh, images of uh, cherubim above the ark. When there was a plague of snakes in the wilderness because the people had disobeyed God, God said, put a, to Moses, make a bronze serpent. So the various images God did allow so it does seem sensible that the point here is not so much don't ever m create anything at all, don't ever do any artwork or anything at all, but it's more saying don't do anything which is going to focus your worship, which you're going to worship. See, God's saying, I want you to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's Exodus 9.16. That's what God wants. But you can go before, as well as just having physical idols, physical things you can bow down to, it appears you can also have idols which are inside. In Ezekiel 14, some, some of the leaders of the Israelites at the time came to Ezekiel and said, give us the word of God. And God said to Ezekiel, these people have got idols in their heart. What it says is, this is what the sovereign Lord says. When any of the Israelites set up idols in their hearts and put a wicked stumbling block before their faces, and then go to a prophet, I, the Lord, will answer them myself in keeping with their great idolatry. So it's possible to have an idol in your heart, not just a little stone or metal or wooden statue that you bow down to. Okay? And what God's saying is, where are you? What idols do we have? 
And it's not so much he's bothered about the idols in one sense, but he knows where it leads to. And the point is, if you have an idol, you're worshipping something other than God. And that's not acceptable. Because this passage is all about worship. This is all about worship. What worship is. And God wants our complete worship. Every bit of us, body, mind, soul and spirit, he wants to worship him alone because that's the only way you're going to get the good holiness of God flowing through and out. Because that's what's meant to be happening, in us and out. That's what's meant to happen with the Israelites, in and out. God said to Abraham, he's going to make him a blessing of the nations. Flowing in and flowing out, it's not just, I've got my own little sort of safe little place here. It's meant to be flowing in and out. Rivers of living water flowing through you. River doesn't just stand still. It becomes stagnant. It's a pond. But a river flows. It goes from one place to another. Coming from God and going out. That's what's meant to be happening. So God says, he wants us to worship us in spirit and truth. John 4.24. That's Jesus saying that. God wants people to worship in spirit and truth. So what is that? Well, when we come together and we just get captivated by emotions, but also spiritually we're together, God's spirit is with us, and we get this sense of there's something really good happening here, and we can sing and we can worship. That's great, and that can be worship in the spirit. But worship is also in the nine to five, or whatever it is, eight till six, or nine till nine, whatever your, your actual working day is, or whatever, whatever you're doing. It's a tw- other twenty other. 24 hours, or the, whatever many hours it is. What's happening then? Are you worshipping God then? Because that's what he wants. He wants worship all the way through. And it doesn't mean he wants you standing there with your hands uplifted and your eyes closed singing songs. He wants your whole heart to be worshipping God, following him, loving him, doing the Ten Commandments. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Living this life, this holy life, which God says, I've given you through the blood of Jesus. It's not just lip service. God hates lip service. In Isaiah he, 29, he castigates those who just, he says, these people come to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He hates it. And he says something, in, in, I didn't write this down because it just occurred to me, but he, he talks about people sacrificing, because you get the Israelites, in, if you read through uh, Kings and Chronicles, which I'm just going through at the moment, you get this, this bit where they, in many places, they're doing all the stuff. They're doing all the rituals, but they're also worshipping idols on the high places. They're also doing other detestable things. They're mixing it all up a bit. Their hearts aren't fully with God, and God says, I hate it. I don't want the sacrifice. I want a, con- a pure and contrite heart. I will not despise, he says. That's what I want. People who really are completely sold out on me. I don't want a mixture. With the priests in the temple, when they had the, the gowns there to go into the temple in, they weren't allowed to have a mixture. It had to be pure linen. They weren't allowed a mixture. It wasn't they didn't like synthetic fabrics, everything else. You're just saying, in that particular context, it's an image of, this is what holiness is. There's no mixture. And there's no limit of worshipping with our bodies. Romans 12.1 is all about sacrifice of worship, living our lives in a way of sacrifice of worship. Holiness. And so what is worship? So we can say, okay, what is worship? And it's not just a singing song. That's an expression of worship. That is something we do which is lovely and joyful and which 
encourages us to focus on God, but it's not the full story. And if we think it is, we're missing it. Worship is honor and love and devotion. It's loyalty and commitment and adoration. It's a sense of you are the only thing I want. It's this, this overwhelming sense of you are wonderful and I just want to show you how much I honor you, how much I think you're fantastic. That's worship. So if you don't like worship on Sunday mornings, get your hearts right, because that's probably where the problem is. It's where my heart is often in the wrong place, and it shouldn't be. I come sometimes and I think, oh, and I think, I'm wrong, I'm out of order here, because I should be worshiping God anyway. I should be ready to worship when I meet on Sunday mornings, because it's already in me, I've already been doing it during the week. And I don't, I don't often enough. And it's horrible. And I think, oh. So most of the time I can spend Sunday mornings getting myself back into shape to face the next week. And God's saying, come on, Rog, that's not the way it should be. I'm meant to be worshiping during the week. I'm here for you. I've got every, everything you need. All my resources are available. I've done it all. I've given it to you in Jesus. Start taking it. Start drinking of me. That's what the, that's what the uh, communion is about. Bread and wine. It's saying, start eating the life I've given you. Start drinking the life I've given you. Start living it, really, day by day, minute by minute. Let's live it. It's exciting. Let's live it. This could be exciting. And then we could see a holy nation. Because we look at, you hear what's happening in the world around, all the knife crime and the broken marriages and the distressed people are in, the mental health issues and everything. I'm not knocking it. These are all serious issues. But a lot of it comes down to the fact we've lost our sight of God. And people are out there without sight of God. They need us as a church to be showing them what God's really like. His love and his care for them and his compassion and his goodness and faithfulness. Again, if you read the Old Testament, what comes through, you hear this fairly severe God. But what comes through times of time is God saying, if you repent, I will do you good. If you repent, if you come back to me, I won't do the things I, I said I would do. I won't bring this judgment upon you. Come and repent. Come back to me. And this heart cry all the time is, I love you so much, I want you to come and back to me. Stop running away. Stop running after these awful idols. Stop living like these other people. Stop looking for these temporary fixes in things which aren't of me because they're not going to satisfy you. Don't go after idols. And what are the idols? Well, you can probably name loads of them. There's, I mean, some things they're good things, which we become overemphasis in our lives. Sometimes they're bad things, which aren't, aren't very good. So, you know, abuse of drugs, abuse of alcohol, it's a bad thing. Some things are good, like eating is good, but we can, we can have the point where we start eating for the wrong reason. We can eat in the wrong way. We can eat because we're depressed and sad. And that is creating an idol. We can get, I, I read a lot and I blank out the world I'm reading and it's because it's a way of escape for me from things. And when I'm reading, Claire will say to me, are you listening to me? And I don't hear her because I'm so focused on what I'm doing in it. And it's not, it's an idol. I've got to break it. I'm trying. Um, hatred and bitterness. That person wronged me, I'm not going to forgive them. That can become an idol. Um, religion can become an idol. We do it this way. We follow it this way. This is the way it is. Got to be like this. Got to sing songs which are soft Christian rock because that's what worship really is. 
Possibly. Who knows? Other things. Self-esteem. Big thing in the world now. Follow your dream. Follow your dream. What I do is important to me. Blow everybody else as long as I'm okay. What is it? Ambition. What about self-loathing? Because some people really have a problem. And it's not, not an easy problem. It's a real problem. It's a real issue. Lust. Biggie. Big in the world. Big problem. Pride. A lot of the things, I mean, most of the things are based on pride, which is saying, I'm more important than God. Are we? Are we more important than God? And if we say we're not, the way we live our lives, that say something different. Because it's all very well to say something and say, oh, we believe this. But where you live your life will say what you really believe. And we keep hammering this home. I keep hammering it home. What am I like? What am I like? I'm answering these questions all the time. I'm having to face up to things all the time in my life. There's people who are helping me face up to some of the idols in my life. It's a real issue. But I want to be a man who flows with God and that flows out with God. And I'm not there yet, but that's what my goal. And that's my goal for every one of us. That we are a congregation here. This our little group here. Each one of us is so connected to God that we're drinking from the well of God daily, worshipping him, and it's flowing out, and it's touching those around us. It's touching the workmates, it's touching the friends, touching the family members, touching the neighbours. Isn't that good? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing? I mean, I, I don't... I, I'm sort of convicted at the same time I'm excited, thinking this is what could be. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? See, the problem with idols is there's no grey area. Because the root of idols is the devil himself. If you think about it, it's logical, isn't it? There's either God or there's not God. And if you're not worshipping God, who are you worshipping? And the devil comes as an angel of light sometimes. It sometimes, it sometimes looks very sensible. He sometimes there's a bit of truth and there's a bit of something... And you think, oh yeah, that's okay. But it's not. And ultimately, he's drawing his heart away. Because he's a master of lies and deceit. And what he'll do, he'll promise a better life. He'll say, so do this, it's okay. God won't mind. It's okay. It's what did to Adam and Eve. God won't mind. He'll say, God doesn't really love you. God doesn't really care about you. You've got to take your life into your own hands because he's not looking after you. Or he'll say, oh, this is much better. This way is much better. It's lies. It's all lies. Because the result is death. And if it results in death, it's not of God. See, the, the devil, it says, is a liar from the beginning. He's a father of lies. And he lies and he deceives and he entices. Come this way. Follow this way. If you read Proverbs, the beginning of Proverbs, the first seven, uh, well, nearly all Proverbs, but certainly the first seven Chapters are all about not being enticed away from God by anything. The result of worshipping idols is ultimately death. Because what we're doing, we're saying, I believe by doing this, I will get satisfaction or comfort or benefit or security or safety or whatever. Or more fun. 
but it will end in death. Ultimately, it will end in death. It will fail. It will never fulfill the promises it makes. It never will. And I know, it never will. It's like being on a, a treadmill where you just wait for the next fix because you think, oh, well, it didn't work that time, and the next time it'll work. I'll do this, next time it'll work. And it will harm relationships, worshipping idols. It'll harm your finances, worshipping idols. Maybe not straight away, but eventually it will break you. And you'll look and think, God, what has happened? Why didn't these good things work out in my life? And you'll think, well, I've been worshipping the wrong thing. I've been worshipping other things rather than you, God. So that's like the downside of it. Because on the, on the you know, at, before the commandments were given, God comes down in Exodus as a cloud and he speaks his voice and people are scared. They are scared because they think this is something bigger than we ever thought. And they say to Moses, look, you know him, you go and talk to him. It's like facing a big dog or something. He's your tame God, go and see to him. But God said, I want all of you people to know me. That's why he brought in all the sacrifices. Because he knew we wouldn't make it. But he says, I want a relationship with you. So in the Old Testament, he brought in all these sacrifices so people could get into the right place with God all the way along. That's what he's trying to do. So we've had that. We've had that Jesus has now taken away all the issues which break us, which bar us from God. And he says, I can now get to know him face to face and worship him face to face. I can know him intimately because his Holy Spirit is in me now because of the blood of Jesus. So what do we do? First of all, I really seriously think we've got to search each of our heart to say, what idols do we have? Ask God to show you. Not in a hard negative way, not in a sort of navel-gazing way, you know, oh, I'm so bad, oh God, whatever. But saying, God, just please show me. Show me where things are, where I'm at in my life. So I can get things sorted out. Because God wants to get, he wants to say, that's it, this is how you deal with it. That's how God works. That's it, this is how you deal with it. Be rigorous. Be aware that you're easily deceived. And you'll deceive yourselves. It's so easy. Because Satan's a master of deception. And you'll get deceived very easily. But God will pinpoint it. And other people, if you ask them, will pinpoint it. But focus on Jesus. The best thing to do is focus on Jesus. To start reading our Bible seriously. To start praying seriously. Or continue or increase it. To meditate on God's word. Not just to read it, but to think, what does it mean? Wrestle with it. Now think about it. Oh, what does that mean? I don't get that. But God, I know you're a good God. I know you're a loving God. I don't understand these things, but you're good. I love you. I know you've got a way forward in this. Fasting is one thing. Uh, meeting with other people is another thing. They're sort of te- they're not, these aren't new. These are ancient disciplines that have been used for, for uh, centuries. And then believe. Believe God wants to change us. God wants to make us holy. It's what he came to do. That's what it's all about. He came to make each one of us holy. He wants each one of us to be holy. Believe God wants to change us. Believe that God has directed his power through the Holy Spirit to transform our lives. He's a work in us, transform us, to make us holy. Believe he truly does love you, loves me, more than we can ever imagine, more than we can ever imagine. Honestly, more than we can imagine. He loves us. More, he loves you, loves me, more than we can imagine. 
Seriously, seriously, seriously. This is the biggie. I used to think it's a bit silly people preach about the love of God all the time. I thought, oh, get on with it. Get on to some real meaty stuff. There's nothing more important than knowing God loves you. Because that is the foundation of everything else. Yes, it's not that you spend all your time thinking, oh God, you love me, do you love me, love me. But knowing deep down inside he loves you, frees you up to then be the person he wants you to be. Know it. And if you don't know it, spend time reading the Bible. Spend time just getting into it. This is real stuff. I'm doing Freedom in Christ at the moment, which is the, print, the premise being that you know the truth and the truth will set you free, which is if you know the true thing about how God sees you, you can lots st- of other things can start dropping away because you're starting to see what reality is. And because that's what it is. It's, it, it's, it's getting hold of reality and what we're faced with is unreality, but we think it's real. Yeah? To believe that Jesus really did die for you and me, and we are really, truly new godly creatures through our faith in him. The old has gone, the new has come. The old is dead. The new has come. It's in the past. The, the tense is in the past. It has come. It, it is new now. And then... There's um, Colossians, I'll just read a bit of Colossians 3. It's worth having a look at Colossians 3, 1 to 17. Uh, and possibly, if, and if you're not sure where to go following this talk, that's a good place to start. But I'll just read the first bit, which is uh, Colossians 3, verses 1 to 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And one day we're going to meet Jesus. He's going to come back. And there's going to be this never-ending reign of good goodness and holiness. The stuff which I talked about at the beginning, about if we live, believe the, if we live the Ten Commandments, wouldn't it be wonderful? That's what heaven's going to be like. People are going to be living the Ten Commandments without even thinking about it. They're just going to be living it. It's going to be this wonderful life. People safe and secure and well and no distress, no sadness, no sickness. Just a real sense of being with God and having the love of God flowing out all the time. But, th- but in this verse he says, Set your heart on things above. Set your mind on things above. So what does that mean? Because I've always thought, what does that mean? You know, I can think, oh, I can think of a sunset, or I can think of this, or I think of you know, my children, or whatever. And that's all good. But I also think it means, look at the Bible, uh, who God is. So for example, in James 1.17, it says, all good things are from God. Good things are from God. If it's good, it's, if it's good, it's from God. So think about that. Remind yourself that... Only from God do good things come. Psalm 136, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Focus on that. God is good. His loving kindness is everlasting, which means everlasting. Which means everlasting. Psalm 125, verse 3. Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. He is great. He is great. He is supreme. There's nobody else. 
Great is the Lord. Fill your mind with this. He's good and forgiving. Psalm 86 verse 5. He's good and forgiving. He's a good God. He is good God. And the devil will try and say he's not a good God. He'll say, look at all these horrible things going on. Look at all this. God is a good God. That's not the way it's meant to be. And he will, he will deal with it. There will be a day when he will deal with it. When Jesus comes, it will be done once and for all. In the meantime, we have a duty to say, God is good. We have to live that life of God being good. And he's God of splendor and beauty. Psalm 96 verse 6. Again, I found, being a bloke, I found this, some of the songs about beauty of God being a bit sort of funny. But I'm beginning to learn it is absolutely true. He is completely beautiful. You look at something and you think, God, that's lovely. Somebody creates something and you think, that's a beautiful piece of artwork. Or you look at the classic thing, the sunrise and everything else. But you think, these are beautiful things. You know, you appreciate the beauty. You think, goodness me, if that's what we can do, imagine how beautiful God is. Imagine how wonderful he is. Imagine the sense of meeting God and just this love and this sense of absolute wonderfulness being all around you. And that's what's going to happen one day. We're going to meet him. So, face up. The conclusion is, face up to it. Do it with idols. It's important. It's serious stuff. Serious. We can't mess about. There's some house group questions which will help explore it a bit more. And some of them are private and some of them are for public talk. But think about it. Get it clear. Let's, let's be serious about this. Because I want to be part of a holy people. I want to be holy myself. And I want to be part of a holy people. Focus on God. That's the big thing. Don't get so locked into your unworthiness you lose sight of who God is. Because that's, that's equally a deception of the enemy. Start focusing on the goodness of God. Start saying, God, I want to know you, I want to see you, I want to get rid of anything that blocks or um, stops you seeing you clearly. Read the Bible because that's where the truth is and think about it. And then have fun, really. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening.